Keith Major Show. All the people know, straight from Hawaii, we're all you need for sure. From news and local events, music and much more. With the Keith Major Show, we give you so much more. Keith Major Show. Aloha, aloha. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks for tuning in. Welcome to the Keith Major Show, and this is Keith Major. I got something a little bit different today. We're going to change the show up. The title of today's show is A Few Good White Men. So last week, I read an article on Facebook about minority officers in the Marine Corps. And coincidentally, I am a prior Marine Corps officer. And if you didn't guess this already, I am a minority. I felt so strongly about this article that was written that I went to LinkedIn, which is where the article was originally posted, and sought out the author. And we had a dialogue and I told him what I thought about his article. But that wasn't enough. Because it didn't quite sit well. So I said, you know what? This is going to become a whole podcast show. Why? Because one, this irritated me. And two, I need to use my platform to spread the message to other minorities. Those that are in high school, the younger ones, college, about to enter the job market. That there is a lot of false perceptions about the capabilities of minorities out there. So be prepared So, this show is going to be dedicated to offering a counter-narrative to what was in that article. Because I thought it was totally erroneous. I think this guy thinks or believes that he's trying to help. But what he is inadvertently doing is reinforcing a false narrative that's detrimental to the very people he's claiming to help so we're going to clear all that up and we're going to resolve that ambiguity in today's show so stay tuned ladies and gentlemen let's take a brief music break and then we'll be right back and then we'll get into it you're listening to the Keith Major Show
current events, and political commentary. You're listening to The Keith Major Show, a podcast recorded live in Honolulu, Hawaii. And now, here's your host, Keith Major. Okay, so allow me to put this in context because a lot of people don't know this about me. This is important to me because I am a prior minority Marine Corps officer. After I graduated from Hampton University, I went to OCS in Quantico for the Marine Corps. Uh, My class was OCC 195. That was the summer class of 1995. And then I graduated OCS. And then I went to the basic school, TBS. And I was Echo 95, Everlasting Echo. Got to be the longest company ever. Um, For those that don't know, OCS teaches you how to be a Marine. And then you go across the street. OCS is 10 weeks. You go across the street for six months. And the basic school, TBS, teaches you how to be a Marine officer. Um, I was an officer of Marines for four years, two months, and 18 days. At the basic school, there's this thing called the straw poll, which is how officers get their MOSs, the job that they're going to do in the Marine Corps. In the straw poll, I got what was then motor T, motor transportation. Now it's logistics. Um, We're going to come back to that point because it's relevant to this story. Um, My undergraduate degree is in aeronautical science from Hampton. Go Pirates. So after four years, two months, and 18 days, I did an inner service transfer to the Navy, and I went to flight school because I wanted to fly airplanes. I made it through flight school. I got P3C Orions, um, and then I came out to Hawaii, and I was a world-famous skinny dragon in Patrol Squadron 4. Four combat tours, about 1,500 combat flight hours later, yada, 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 on and on. And then I eventually retired and I stayed out here in beautiful and lovely Hawaii. But let's talk about the author, because I looked him up, the author of this article. Um, his name is Colonel Thomas Hobbs. He's a retired Marine Corps colonel, 27 years or so, I think, in the Marine Corps. Um, believe it or not, we have five mutual LinkedIn friends and one of them is my good good friend Sam Davis who is also a minority Marine Corps officer who went to North Carolina A&T down there in Greensboro so I'm looking at these friends like I don't see how this guy can know the officers that he knows but yet have the perceptions and opinions that he has and I'm going to call Sam at some point and ask him about this guy um, Colonel Hobbs was a military attache um, at, the, at an embassy in Japan. He was CO Infantry Training Battalion East. He was a regimental XO. He was a regimental XO of 3-8, 3rd Battalion, 8th Marines. He was an instructor at the Expeditionary Warfare School. And he went to the Defense Language Institute. We learn Japanese, so it's safe to presume that Colonel Hobbs is probably really proficient at speaking Japanese. 
But I just, I'm baffled. I really am. The point is, this dude's got a top-notch resume. These aren't slacker jobs. These jobs are the real deal. So he's been there, and he's done that, and he's got some jobs that even I look at and say, oh, wow, tough job, but he made it. So let's talk about this article. Basically, I'm going to try to summarize this article for you. But I will post the link to the article um, when I post the podcast. And I encourage you to read the article so that the things that I am saying will make sense and resonate. And you'll you have a way to, to frame the problem. But basically, Colonel Hobbs's position is that the Marine Corps is a microcosm of America. And the polarization that is occurring in our nation can occur in our Marine Corps as well. I'll buy that one for a dollar. I agree. Um, and then he talks about his background. He's half European and half Asian. Here in Hawaii, we would call that half a Howley. Um, he's half white, half Asian. Um, he admits that he was raised in a privileged family, lived in privileged neighborhoods, and went to privileged schools among mostly white people. Okay, no, no. No problem there. A lot, a lot of people, that was their situation. Um, but as a Marine officer, he had mostly white friends since the vast majority of officers are white men. Um, that's true. You know, it's all in how you handle that socially. Um, you know, I had some white friends. I wouldn't say when I was in the Marines, I had mostly white friends. I think it was about half and half. Um... He thinks that those experiences provide him empathy to the question um, about policies and their impact on minority and female Marines. Okay, that's reasonable. I'll buy that. So 40 years later, because he's retired, uh, probably wore a uniform about 30 years. Um, and then I think he's got a, a job that he's doing right now. He's a retired infantry colonel with three combat tours. Um, he's 50. Um, and his point of unreadiness is that the president is telling brown and black Americans to go back to where they came from. Um, and many Americans, uh, almost all white, because, you know, there's a few dissenters of color, cheer when he says that. And that does not sit well with him. Um, he feels betrayed, and I think really what his issue is, is those white friends that he has or had, whatever the case may be, are not in agreement with him when he says that the president's language and the tone of his speech are not helpful to advancing America. I think that is what he is trying to imply. Um, to silently stand by is to condone racism and I'm, I'm reading quotes here um, being a non-racist still allows racist policy therefore you are either racist or anti-racist I agree with that but I think this is where Colonel Hobbs goes wrong if your friends because it works both ways 
if your friends are not anti-racist, that probably means that they're racist. So if you knew someone for any length of time and did not realize that they were a racist, I think some of the responsibility of that falls on you. So, but let me continue because this is where I agreed with the article up to a point, but then there came a point where Colonel Hobbs starts to go left. And, and then my the hairs on the back of my neck start raising and I'm starting to have some issues. So this is the point where I, I, I couldn't I couldn't follow him anymore. Um, and some of these are quotes. Um, what has remained with me ever since the question of why so many minority officers struggled at TBS? Over time, I have come to understand the cause. TBS is a high-pressure environment where lieutenants are in direct competition with one another. Yes, they are. The first three significant tests at TBS are swim qualification, rifle pistol qualification, and land navigation. Yes, they are. That's true. Many of the minority officers I led grew up in low-income areas, mostly poor city neighborhoods, they did not have access to Boy Scouts, neighborhood pools, gun ranges, or hunting. Pause. I don't necessarily agree with that. Um, we can take a poll. I think that is a misperception, that statement. The first event with swim qualification is many of my minority officers struggle ultimately every one of those officers pass but at a cost to their prestige confidence and lineal standing we're going to get back to that loss of prestige because i really think that's something else and colonel hobbs is misapplying a cause and effect there we'll get back to that the next big test was rifle and pistol qualification and again many of my minority officers struggle Land navigation was the third major hurdle and the pattern of struggle continued. In addition, remediation and reattempts at qualification were time intensive and created a vicious cycle as the lieutenants fell behind in other topics. As a result, confidence, peer reputation and lineal standing eroded further. These three major evolutions occurred during the first third of TBS. That's all correct. By the time those events were finished, reputations were set for the remainder of TBS and one can argue the remainder of their Marine Corps career. I'm glad that he put that qualifier one can argue in there because we are going to argue that. But I'll continue. The other aspect of TBS that favored lieutenants from white, middle and upper class families is the language we use in the Marine Corps, particularly among officers, we speak proper, proper is in quotations, English. That is English decided as proper by those who have had power and determined the standards. Again, many of my minority officers were challenged with writing and briefing five paragraph orders. A five paragraph order is a standard format for giving instructions to Marines. Um... And you have to learn how to write this format 
because it then builds on later and later into bigger things. So five paragraph orders are a big deal. Now, my objection to that statement is, do you think your minorities had problems writing and briefing? Or was the problem really that they had never seen a five paragraph order before? Because not every candidate at OCS was in ROTC. I was not an ROTC guy. I graduated, went to OCS, and I had to learn everything that I learned right there in Quantico. ROTC guys have seen a lot of that stuff before, so they have an advantage. So to really peel back the layers on this, we would have to figure out what that individual candidate or second lieutenant's commissioning source was and what experience that they had. But to blindly say the inability to execute a five paragraph order was due to a lack of writing and communication and briefing skills, that's to me a bridge too far to cross. Um, even if no one ever said it out loud, those who struggled to write and speak correctly and correctly in quotations were not respected by the officer culture, a culture determined by white men over the past 244 years. If in doubt, just look at the wall of commanders at any headquarters, almost all the white men. OK, so for those that have not been in the Marines or are not military, any major command you go to, there's a wall of faith. And it has a pictures of all the past commanders. Then on another wall, they have a picture of the president, sec dev, sec nav, all the biggity bigs. But, and it's normally a long hallway because the Marines have been around 244 years. But if you look, going back 244 years is nothing but pictures of white men. So that's the point that he's making. But I don't think that point is because minorities are not qualified. It has to do with the history and the lineage of the Marine Corps, and we're going to cover that later. Um, my white lieutenants who did well at TBS did well because they worked hard. Well, most lieutenants that work hard do well at TBS. To me, that's independent of what race they are because there were white lieutenants that don't do well at TBS because they did not work hard. So what does that statement really mean? Um, and then he says, this fact is not in dispute. No, I would just dispute that what is in dispute is whether the institution created a level playing field for all officers i believe the institution has not and does not the institution is biased toward middle and upper class white culture the institution perpetuates the unspoken narrative of white superiority by setting up minority officers for failure it puts reluctant minority officers in MOSs they do not want or have not been thoroughly prepared for by the system. Then officers of all races pass through headquarters like Masidic and the silent message of racial and gender hierarchy is reinforced by the command photographs everyone sees on the wall. Let's go back to this statement. It puts reluctant minority officers in MOSs they do not want or have not been thoroughly prepared for by the system. That's true. However, that's not an accident. I feel like that is on purpose. The Marine Corps does set minority officers up to fail because the Marine have the Marine Corps has a tendency to not put minorities in the field that they would potentially do well in 
because in my mind, they don't want minorities to do well. I'll give you an example. I'll give you two examples. My one example was I had a classmate at TBS that was a little bit older, had already been to graduate school, and he had an MBA. All he wanted to do was be a supply or finance officer because he wanted experience that he could take with him after the Marine Corps and he was eventually going to go to corporate America. What MOS did that guy get? He got infantry. Why would you send the guy with an MBA to the infantry officer's course? How was that helping that Marine and how was that benefiting the Marine Corps? My second example is myself. I was an aeronautical science major at Hampton University. I knew from day one that I wanted to fly airplanes. Four years of matriculating through Hampton. I graduate with a Bachelor of Science in Aeronautical Science. The OSO tells me, Officer Selection Officer, that's a little recruiter. The recruiter basically tells me one out of every three Marine officers is an aviator. Oh, I'm sold. Sign me up. I go to OCS, get to TBS, now was the straw poll. What MOS do I get in the straw poll? I get Motor T. Motor T is like being a grunt on wheels, except you're at an infantry regiment and you're not a grunt, so your life sucks. But the point is, why would you take the guy with an aeronautical degree and put him in any MOS other than aviation? What sense does that make? And that is part of the problem. The Marine Corps does a great job of taking round pegs out of round holes and putting that round peg in a square hole. It's not an accident. I just think it's part of the quote unquote system. So, ladies and gentlemen, let's take another break. Stay tuned because we're going to dig into this and we'll be right back. Send me your location, let's focus on communicating Cause I just need the time and place to come through Send me your location, let's ride the vibrations I don't need nothing else but you At times I wonder why I fool with you, but this is new to me this is new to you initially I didn't wanna fall for you Gather my attention, it was all for you So don't take advantage Don't leave my heart damaged To understand that things go a little bit better when you plan it Oh, so won't you send me your location Let's focus on communicating Cause I just need the time and place to come through Location that's ride the vibrations. I don't need nothing else but you. I don't wanna fall in love off a subtweet, so let's get personal. I got a lot of cool spots that we can go. Tell me what's the move, and I got you. I'm only acting like this cause I like you. Just give me the vibe to slide in. Oh, I might make you mine by the night then Send me your location, let's focus
focus on communicating Cause I just need the time and place to come through Send me your location Let's find the vibrations I don't need nothing else but you Ride, ride, ride Come and vibe with me tonight I don't need Nothing else but you I don't need nothing else but you Ride, ride, ride Come and vibe with me tonight I don't need nothing else but you Nothing else but you to the Keith Major Show, a podcast, news, sports, finance, current events, and political commentary, recorded live in Honolulu, Hawaii. And now, here's your host, Keith Major. Okay, so let's talk about what Colonel Hobbs says the problem is. And I'm, I'm going to read this. This is a quote from his article. None of my white friends would call me a chink or tell me to go back to where I came from. But many of them voted for President Trump. Many of those friends will not speak out against the president, even in private with me. Despite witnessing the things he has said, done and caused. I am talking about my retired friends and give my active duty friends a pass. I feel betrayed to me. This discussion is not a friendly debate after which I can happily return to what I was doing to me. This is about fair, safety, life, and death. Okay, this is what I think I could be wrong, but this is my perception. I feel like Colonel Hobbs' betrayal is that the people that he thought were his friends should be as vehemently opposed to the president's rhetoric as he is. And now he is on the horns of a dilemma because he is realizing the people that he calls his friends are not, not in agreement with the president. But I would say to Colonel Hobbs, those people are not disagreeing with the president because they think he's right. You just don't want to accept the fact that your quote-unquote friends think this way. That is that is your consternation that the people you called your friends, you're now realizing, man, these guys think differently from me. So it sounds like after 30 years of service, Colonel Hobbs is now being forced to come to the realization that he wasn't special, that he wasn't gifted, that he wasn't in a separate class by himself, 
But the reality is he's been a minority the entire time and he's just not realizing it. In the black community, we call that a Negro wake up call. Let me let me tell you what that is for those who don't don't know. You have certain Negroes, those highfalutin, high cotton types that go to the finest schools. They have the finest things. Their parents tell them how great and how special they are and how you're going to go out and you're going to compete and get all these accolades. And they really think the playing field is level. And those guys, 100% of the time, eventually will have a Negro wake-up call where they get slapped in the face with reality and in some professional setting and on some social catastrophe they have they're forced to embrace the fact that you were never special to your white counterparts and to your white friends you were just a black guy like the rest of the black guys that's a negro wake-up call um, my personal point of contention with Colonel Hobbs is I didn't appreciate the tone at which he wrote his article. When you read it, it's written as if I'm explaining a, a problem from outside the problem between white people and minorities as if I am not a minority myself. It's written in this kind of third person active voice of like those minorities and those black students. And it's like, no, dude, you're 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 a minority. And I think you're now finding that out because your quote unquote friends hurt your feelings. None of my white friends would call me a chink or tell me to go back to where I came from. But many of them voted for President Trump. Many of those friends will not speak out against the president, even in private with me. Dude, they do call you a chink. They just don't do it when you're around. See, it doesn't matter what people say when you're standing there. What really is important is what do those people say when you are not around? When you're not standing there in their company, what are they saying about you? I hazard to guess it probably was not as nice as you thought it was. And your friends will not speak out against the president because they agree with the president. The question is really, Colonel Hobbs, why and how did these people become your friends? How could you befriend people that thought this way and it took you 30 years to figure out that's how they thought didn't take me 30 years to figure out the issues in the Marine Corps. I figured it out in about three months. And that's why I wound up doing an inner service transfer. Because the climate and the culture in the Marine Corps to me was intolerable. And I was like, oh, I can do way better than this. And that is what I did. So, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take another break. And we're going to come back. And I'm going to specifically talk about bias because that's really what this is, a culture of bias in the Marine Corps. And we're going to dig into that. So thanks for listening, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Keith Major and you're listening to the Keith Major Show. You're listening to the Keith Major Show, a podcast. 
news, sports, finance, current events, and political commentary. Recorded live in Honolulu, Hawaii. And now, here's your host, Keith Major. Okay, we're back on the Keith Major Show. Let's talk about bias. Two types of bias that are prevalent in the Marine Corps. There's observation bias. Observation bias is the tendency to see what we expect to see or what we want to see. When a researcher studies a certain group, they usually come to an experiment with prior knowledge and subjective feelings about the group that they're studying. In other words, they come to the table with conscious or unconscious prejudices. Observer bias can be reduced or eliminated by ensuring that observers are well-trained, screening observers for potential bias, having clear rules and procedures in place for the observation, making such behaviors, uh, make sure that those behaviors are well-defined, um, and then setting a time frame for collecting data for the duration of the experiment or the observation. That's observation bias. Confirmation bias. Confirmation bias occurs from the direct influence of desire on beliefs. When people would like a certain idea or concept to be true, they end up believing it to be true. They are motivated by wishful thinking. This error leads the individual to stop gathering information when the evidence gathered so far confirms the views or prejudices, there's that word again, one would like to be true. And how can we mitigate confirmation bias? We can look at sources of information outside of our normal comfort zone and try to be open-minded about the viewpoint that is being represented. We can check all the facts before we draw a conclusion about an important issue. And then three, acknowledge, acknowledge our confirmation bias and try to meet somewhere in the middle on some of the most important and vexing problems. That third thing, that third thing is where the Marine Corps runs into a pretty high hurdle. You're never going to get the Marines as an organization to acknowledge that they have a confirmation bias problem. So let me put this in real terms. This is what confirmation and observation bias means in the Marines. Colonel Hobbs says, my minority officers did not perform well. Yeah, exactly. Your minority officers did not perform well. That is not to say that all minority officers are poor performers. But if your perception, your prejudice, and your bias going into a TBS class is that minorities are poor performers, anything a minority does that you judge to be poor, you're then going to turn around and say, aha! This validates the perception and the prejudice that I have. And that is not fair to guys like me and Sam Davis and Eric Watson 
and Sam Johnson and Bruce Hampill and all the guys that I went to TBS and spent time with in the FMF that did well and were high performers. That is not fair to us because that that propagates this perception of poor performance that I have to contend with before I even walk in the room. And that's not fair and it's not based on anything. And that is why I felt so strongly about providing an alternative assessment to this article because Colonel Hobbs is not doing minorities a favor by reinforcing the false narrative that we already knew existed. That's not helping at all. Colonel Hobbs' solution is that he proposes that officers needing a boost so they can start from uh, equal footing should be deliberately prepared by the institution before commencing TBS. Um, perhaps officers who are identified through some type of pretest or survey should attend a quote-unquote mini TBS to learn the fundamentals of swimming, navigating, and shooting. And his working example of that is NAPS, which is the Naval Academy Preparatory School. If you want to go to the Naval Academy and your grades and your academics are not quite right, you kind of get, I think, a, a summer to almost a year where they kind of put you in this intensive cooker, teach you all this stuff to get you academically ready for the rigors of the Naval Academy. But again, that's reinforcing a false narrative. Because I will tell you that the reality is that it's not that minorities are not suited for the Marine Corps, but rather the key is the Marine Corps has been historically woeful at recruiting minorities who actually are qualified. See, that's the confirmation bias. The minority officers that I see aren't are poor performers, therefore all minority officers are poor performers. No, 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 no. That's incorrect. The minority officers that you were able to recruit are poor performers. The other minority officers were outside of the Marine Corps range and unobtainable to the Marine Corps. That's the reality. But you're never going to get the Marines to admit that they are unable to recruit the qualified minorities that are available but I'm sorry and my illustration is this y'all notice that the army never seems to complain about a lack of minority officers and the army seems to be doing just fine the army seems to have a plethora of black one stars combat arms officers had a four star um, Tuskegee Airmen Buffalo Soldiers. There's a long history of high-performing minorities in the Army, but the Marine Corps does not have that same history. Why is that? What is it about the recruiting process such that the Army seems to get the first pick of all the highly qualified minorities and the Marine Corps gets the leftovers? But the Marines don't see it that way. So let me tell you, my Oso, my recruiter, was a guy named Captain Dan Wisniewski. He was a Force Recon Marine 
infantry guy. Um, cross country runner. Real cool guy. Um, he came to campus one day. And he was like. Major. Why do I have such a hard time. Recruiting black guys. Out of Hampton University. And I look at him like. Captain Wisniewski. Because this is Hampton University. And he looked at me puzzled. Because he didn't understand what I meant. Dude, you're a white guy with blonde hair and blue eyes standing on the campus of arguably the most prestigious historically black college and university in the entire country. Why is it that the Oso is always a white guy? The Marine Corps has never sent a black officer to this campus to recruit anybody. But when I look across campus at Army, there's like four or five black officers recruiting folks. When I go down the Navy ROTC, the MOI, Marine Officer Instructor. So in ROTC, the Marines will send a guy um, to train up all the midshipmen that want to be Marine options. That guy, even on a historically black college campus, is always a white guy. You notice a trend here? And this is what the Marine Corps doesn't understand. And this is what I need Colonel Hobbs to come to grips with. Bias is a double-edged sword. It cuts in two directions. The Marine Corps has a perception that minority officers are underperforming. But at the same time, and to their chagrin, high-performing minorities have the perception that the Marine Corps is a racist redneck organization. So you have these two perceptions at the same time. The end result is you're not getting very many applications to the Marine Corps out of Hampton University. And that's reinforced by history. The Marine Corps was the last branch of the military to integrate. In June 1941, President Roosevelt signed the executive order 8802 that prohibited racial discrimination um, by any government agency. That was 1941. The first black Marine Corps officer didn't get commissioned until 1955. Well, what was the Marine Corps doing between 41 and 55 after the president signed the executive order? Frank Branch was the first black Marine Corps officer and I had the opportunity to meet Captain Frank Branch retired. Let me tell you the story. So I'm a brand new second lieutenant, Echo Company 95 at the basic school. We would have these things called reflections lectures. Like every so often they'd bring in some biggity big dude, uh, Medal of Honor winner, a former flag officer, somebody that did something significant in the Marines, they'd bring that guy back in the evenings. We'd all get dressed up and we'd listen to that person motivate us about the Marine Corps for an hour, hour and a half, however it may be. This particular day, we get the word. On Friday, the Reflections Lecture is going to be Captain Frederick Clinton Branch, United States Marine Corps, retired. First black Marine Corps officer. In my mind... I'm thinking, oh man, this guy's got to be older than dirt. The first black Marine Corps officer? Probably some old dude. We won't be able to hear him. So, 
go through the week of classes. Friday comes, we file into the classroom. They call the room to attention, and in walks Captain Branch. And my mouth is literally hanging on the floor because in my mind, I'm thinking, that is the first black Marine Corps officer? That guy? That guy is younger than my uncle. This cannot be the first black Marine Corps officer ever. I just, I refuse to accept that. And then for about an hour or so, Captain Branch goes on to tell his story. And I'm just like, man, I am really in trouble here if this is the first black Marine Corps officer. But he was. And I went back, read his bio, researched him a lot. And I was like, man, hmm, what have I gotten myself into? The illustration of these two paradigms between the Army and the Marine Corps is evident if you've ever had the opportunity to see an HBCU homecoming parade. You're going to understand what I'm talking about. But now you're going to be able to put it in its proper context. Homecoming is a big deal in black schools. Homecoming for us is different than it is in white schools. It's more like a football game slash a family reunion slash block party slash everything. One of the big things is the homecoming parade. Everybody goes. So here comes the parade. You're sitting on the side. And then comes Army ROTC. It's like the marching in of the Spartan legions. Because there's literally hundreds of guys. Like all different types of guys. Covered in the line. They're in mass. They're in companies. It's like so many guys. You're like, when is this going to end? And you see, they got the nurses. They got dudes with berets on. The high-speed guys want to go Rangers and SF. They got them guys. It's literally hundreds of guys. And then, here comes Navy ROTC. At Hampton, the midshipmen put their money together and rented a car. It was a convertible. I'll never forget it. It was like nine dudes... In choker whites, in a convertible, sitting on the back, and hanging off the side, with signs that said "Go Navy," driving down the street in the parade. That was Hampton University Navy ROTC, compared to the mighty Spartan Legion, the Roman Legions of the North, which was Army ROTC. I would encourage the Commandant of the Marine Corps, the CO of TBS, go down to Hampton, Virginia State, Norfolk State, one of the HBCUs that's close to Quantico, and just watch the parade. And if they're willing to tell me they're okay with that, then okay. But I don't think they're going to tell me that because it's really sad looking, but it's really the embodiment of nobody is checking for the Navy in the Marine Corps. The Army recruits all of the highly capable minority students on most black college campuses everywhere. That's just how it is. So, the tie-in for the non-military. Wait, wait, let's take a break. Let's take a break and come back. And I'm going to tie this in for those of you who don't wear the uniform or have ever been in the service. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Keith Major and you're listening to the Keith Major Show. Everybody 
private world where they can be alone. Are you calling me? Are you trying to get through? Are you reaching out for me? I'm reaching out for you. I'm just so depressed, I just can't seem to get out this slump If I could just get over this hump But I need something to pull me out this dump I took my bruises, took my lumps Fell down and I got right back up But I need that spark to get psyched back up In order for me to pick the mic back up I don't know how or why or when I ended up in this position I'm in I'm starting to feel distant again So I decided just to pick this pen Up and try to make an attempt to vent But I just can't admit or come to grips With the fact that I may be done with rap I need a new outlet And I know some so hard to swallow But I I just can't sit back and wallow in my own sorrow But I know one fact, I'll be one tough act to follow One tough act to follow I'll be one tough act to follow Here today, growing tomorrow But you have to walk a thousand miles In my shoes, just to see what it's like to be me I'll be you, let's straight shoes Just to see what it'd be like to feel your pain You feel mine, go inside each other's minds Just to see what we find Look at each through each other's eyes But don't Everything's so tense and gloom I almost feel like I gotta check the temperature Out of room just as soon as I walk in It's like all eyes on me So I try to avoid any eye contact Cause if I do that Then it opens the door for conversation Like I want that I'm not looking for extra attention I just wanna be just like you Blend in with the rest of the room Maybe just point me to the closest restroom I don't need no of man servant Trying to follow me around and wipe my Laugh at every single joke I crack And half of them ain't even funny like that Marshall, you're so funny, man, you should be a comedian Unfortunately, I am I just hide behind the tears of a clown So why don't you all sit down Listen to the tale I'm about to tell Hell, we don't gotta trade our shoes And you ain't gotta walk no thousand miles In my shoes, just to see what it's like to be me I'll be you, let's trade shoes Just to see what it'd be like to feel your pain You feel mine, go inside each other's minds Just to see what we find Looking each through each other's eyes But don't Major Show, a podcast, news, sports, finance, current events, and political commentary. Recorded live in Honolulu, Hawaii. And now, 
here's your host, Keith Major. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for listening in. This is Keith Major, and you're listening to the Keith Major Show. I'm going to tie this in for those of you who have not or do not wear the uniform. Why, why should you care about this? Bias and prejudice is present in all industries, not just in the military. Like Colonel Hobbs says, the military is a microcosm of America. But wait, let's go back. Let's go back to the difference between Army and Marine Corps. Special forces, right? Highly trained guys, very capable guys. They're the best of the best. In the Army, there are about 1,450 special forces officers. And out of that number, about 70 of them are black. There are about 70 black Green Berets in the Army. In the Marine Corps, we now have MARSOC. MARSOC, Marine Special Operations Command, is the Special Forces of the Marines. Guess how many black MARSOC officers there are in the Marine Corps right now, today? One. There is one qualified Marine Raider black in the entire Marine Corps. Just one. And I happen to know him. He's a friend of mine. Just one. That's it. And when he retires. Where are we going to get the next one? So you got one. Versus. 70. This is what the Marine Corps un- doesn't understand. They would say. Well there's only one black Marine Raider. Because. Minority officers are underperforming they're not cut out for this type of work okay well why was the marine corps unable to recruit the 70 black guys that are wearing green berets so out of a population of 71 the marine corps was only able to recruit train and retain one the other 70 are in the army that is the problem that the marine corps is going to have to resolve and for the white officers in the marine corps they're going to have to come to grips with the fact that when it comes to diversity the army is running circles around the marine corps and it's not even close so let's get back invisible barriers these are things that apply in the Marine Corps, that also apply in corporate America, education, whatever your job is, and we're going to go through some things. Everybody's heard of the glass ceiling, right? The glass ceiling is a metaphor used to represent the invisible barrier that keeps a given demographic from rising beyond a certain level in the hierarchy. You go to the business, manufacturing, where all the black people work, they in the plant. Right? Go to the airlines. Where's all the black people? They like slinging bags. They work in the ticket counter. Right? Executives in the C-suite, pilots, not so much. When you look at diversity in the military, 
I would say the black people are pretty much all below the rank of 04. You get a certain number that can rise above 04, make it to 05. Colonel Hobbs made it to 06. But for the most part, the rule is that diversity decreases with grade. And that's just not in the Marines. That's in most of federal government. The higher you go, the whiter it gets. The glass ceiling. The next thing, and you might not have heard of some of these, is uh, a sticky floor. A sticky floor is used to describe a discriminatory employment pattern that keeps a certain group of people at the bottom of the job scale. Right? Again, that's an illustration of diversity decreases with grade. The higher you go, the wider it gets. Right? From the beginning, with a sticky floor, is already you're already behind the power curve from day one, right? The system is set up for you not to climb the ladder. The next one is a glass wall. Within a corporate environment, it is generally understood that to rise upward, a person needs to first be able to move laterally from department to department to learn the business. Um, when barriers are created to block minorities from moving laterally, that invisible obstruction is referred to as a glass wall. Now, let me explain to you what glass walls do in the military. You look at most branches, any branch in the military, where's all the minority officers? They tend to work in admin, supply, logistics, transportation, food service. The minorities in the military, and this is to me a holdover from when the military was segregated. Most minority officers are in support job fields, support MOSs. That is a glass wall. Because if you try to leave one MOS to go to another MOS or leave your MOS to go to a professional level school, it's very difficult. You get stuck in one little area at a very low level and that's where you spend the preponderance of your 20 years that's a glass wall right i know there's got to be people out there listening to this and they understand what i'm talking about the next two indirectly impact minorities but they really are about white guys the next one is a crystal escalator right that's how white males fast track through organizations through the glass ceiling um, in organizations that have like at least some diversity. So you're stuck on your sticky floor, constrained by your glass wall. But it seems like the white guy magically rises up the ladder. And next thing you know, he's like senior VP, VP. And you're like, wait a minute. How did the guy that got here after me? Make it further down the road than me in less time. Because he's riding the crystal escalator. In the military, if you're a graduate of one of the service academies, your daddy's a flag officer, you got the right family name, your uncle's a senator or a congressman, all of those things matter and it gets you faster up the food chain. Now, the military will tell you that's not the case. The playing field is level. Hogwash. The playing field is not level. And if you don't believe what I'm saying, there's plenty of studies out there that you can read. This is all this is HR stuff. This is a graduate class that I took 
managing diversity. There's all types of research. People got their PhDs in this stuff, and you can read it. The last one is called a crystal floor. A crystal floor is no matter how bad the white guy goons it up. Y'all notice that white guys tend not to fall too hard. No matter what the white guy does, he gets a slap on the wrist and he doesn't fall too far. But minorities, we get bounced out of the organization entirely. So it's like you, you get an express ride to the top on a crystal escalator and then you get to stay at the top because you're too white to fail because there's a crystal floor. I gave you an example. Kip Ward had his issues, whatever you feel about Kip Ward, whatever you feel about his issues. Kip Ward was forced to give up a star. But Admiral Stavridis, um, General Petraeus, they didn't give up any stars, right? They just got a slap on the wrist. They, they get administrative punishment, just like the cops. The cops always get paid leave. I don't know any minorities that get paid leave when they do wrong. So, ladies and gentlemen, please look these up and take some time to reflect and think about how these invisible barriers may impact you in your place of employ. Glass ceilings, sticky floors, glass walls, crystal escalators, and the old hallowed too white to fail crystal floor. Now, I recommend a particular book for all black professionals because reading is how you learn these things. One of the most impactful books that I read as a professional is a book called Empowering Yourself by a gentleman named Harvey J. Coleman. Go on Amazon, whatever website you, you buy your books, get that book. It's required reading for black professionals. Um... If you have some young ones coming up, just starting their work life, make sure they read that book. Right? Because minorities get told stuff like, work hard and you'll get ahead. Hard work is its own reward. You got to work twice as hard. See, you're already finishing that and I haven't even finished it. Because we already know. You got to work twice as hard to get half as much. Only minorities get told these things. White parents don't tell their kids these things. Right. We've heard that all of our lives. But has it worked? Have we gotten any further and any farther by working ourselves to death? Absolutely not. Um, our work often goes unnoticed because people have this perception that we are unqualified or incapable. Um, and then it seems like those who don't work as hard as us move on and then they leave us behind. If you know what I'm talking about and you have seen, heard, or experienced these things, then you need to go get this book. I actually emailed Harvey Coleman once and he emailed me back. Like, cool guy, older guy at this point. He was an IBM executive and he just couldn't figure out why everybody was passing him by. And then he studied and then he wrote this book. Um, I bought plenty of copies of this book and I've given them away as gifts. And the people I've given gifts to bought more copies of this book and gave those away as gifts. Um, so the title of the book is Empowering Yourself, The Organizational Game Revealed. 
Um, so if you think your career has hit a glass ceiling or a sticky floor or a glass wall, you need to read this book in order to get your career ship righted so that you can have smooth sailing. Right. Um, basically, there's unwritten rules on the job. And Mr. Coleman wrote those rules in the book so you can read them and you will understand the unwritten, hidden behind the scenes things. That prevent minorities from being successful. Um, in the book, he talks about pie. This is one of the things that's going to get you with the book. Pie is performance, image, and exposure. In order to succeed in any profession, on any job, in any organization, you got to have pie. Performance, image, exposure. But it really is a pie. And you'll see this in the book. Performance is about... 30%. Um, image is about 30%. And the other 40% is exposure. The problem with minorities is we get told that hard work is its own reward. We spend 100% of our time and energy on the thing least likely to get us up the ladder, which is performance. You can work yourself almost to death. And performance is only 30% of the pie. The other 70%, that's image and exposure. That's rubbing elbows with the right people, going to the right cocktail parties, being in the right environments with the right people at the right time, right? We don't do so well at those things. And after you read this book, you will be more mindful of the things you attend and the things that you go to. Pie, performance, image and exposure so if you're a minority quit working so hard because it ain't going to get you up the ladder the key is improve your image in the organization and expand your exposure get seen by people with horsepower that can do things so ladies and gentlemen i encourage you to go read this article It's on linkedin i will post the link um, on on the podcast episode I encourage Colonel Hobbs, dude, get at me. If you want to defend what you wrote, I'll give you the whole podcast show, the whole thing. Call me. We'll do an interview. And let's talk about this. I'm reading the comments on LinkedIn. And people are coming at you pretty hard about your views. Because it has the appearance of for 37 years. For 30 years, you had the opportunity while in uniform to at least impart some effect on the problem, and you did not. And now that you are retired, here you come with all of the answers. That's not good enough. And the solution is as simple as this, Colonel Hobbs. Minorities aren't asking for anything special. You don't have to make the wall lower. You don't have to give me more time. I don't need anything special. All I need is equally as fair a shake, unbiased, unburdened as the other guy gets so that the race can be even. But it's as simple as this. In 30 years, how many minority Marines did you pull aside and say, hey, man, I think you have potential. Um, the deadline for commissioning packages is 1 April. You got three weeks to get me a commissioning package. 
How many times did you say that? How many times did you look at a minority Marine, thought that Marine had potential, but maybe was lacking something, and you picked up the phone and called the monitor and said, hey, this is Hobbs. I got a Marine here I think has some promise. He needs a little bit of work. I need him to have this type of job or that type of job. What do you have available so I can sit this Marine down and get the right person in the right job um, so we can retain this guy? How many times did you do that? It's that simple. I mean, most of this stuff is just phone calls, emails, but generally being concerned about seeing minorities do well. How many times did you call a minority in and try to train them, coach them, mentor them? Hey, uh, I observed this or that, not quite up to the standard. Uh, why don't you come back after hours? Let's sit down and talk about how you can improve. Did you did you do that? Because in the article, it comes off as if you didn't do anything. And now you're realizing what the situation had been all along. And you had these blinders on. And if you sat idly by and let races be racist. Sir, it might hurt your feelings, but you're also a racist. That's not fair. So let's talk about it so that people don't have the wrong perception about you as a person. Give me a call. I'll get you on the show. Let's talk about this. Ladies and gentlemen, I'll post this article. I see plenty of people commenting on the article. I will go back and I will add more comments and I will post the link to my podcast on this article let's do what we can to help the marine corps be better help individual marines be better and let's help our fellow taxpaying citizens be better on their jobs because a lot of this applies to them as well ladies and gentlemen i thank you for listening in my name is keith major and this has been the keith major show Keith Major Show, all the people know, straight from Hawaii, we're all you need for sure, the news and local events, music and much more, but the Keith Major Show, we give you so much more, Keith Major Show, Keith Major Show, Keith Major Show. Keith Major Show